Hi, everyone. It's Brad Thomas, and welcome back to the IRE podcast. Uh, today, I'm honored to have a CEO that's new to our IRE podcast series. Uh, that's not a REIT, and it's not, well, it's a BDC now, but it's going to be a bank soon. Uh, and that is Barry Sloan. Barry is the CEO of New Tech Business Services. That ticker symbol is N-E-W-T. And Barry, it's good to see you today. Pleased to be here, Brad. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, uh, of course, uh, you know my wheelhouse is equity REITs, but uh, our company covers a number of other sectors, including BDCs and MLPs, which obviously are all rooted in income. Uh, and I really appreciate your getting on. We just recently published an article on the company. And as, as always, I try to uh, spend time with our management teams. And so I uh, wanted to really start and introduce, introduce uh, your, if you can introduce the, the audience to you and and your business model. And I know you've got a little house cleaning before we get started uh, with some compliance. So I'll, uh, I'll let you get started there. Well, Brad, thank you. And uh, I'm one of the original founders of New Tech Business Service Corporation. As you indicated, stock uh, symbol number, uh, stock symbol NEWT on the NASDAQ. Uh, company was established in 1998, uh, became public through a reverse merger in September of 2000. And um, we appreciate the opportunity for you to write on us recently. And a lot of that was based upon a potential transition for the company, as we've recently announced that we've contracted to acquire National Bank of New York City. So some of the things that I might be discussing today are forward-looking, forward-leaning statements. Uh, the acquisition of National Bank of New York City is subject to regulatory approval and shareholder vote. And uh, with respect to the regulatory approval, uh, we have to get a business plan approved uh, by the regulatory agencies, which makes uh, us create certain factors, certain assumptions. Uh, these are all forecasts and can't necessarily be relied upon, but they're our best guesses given an extensive amount of work that the management team and the board went into in terms of making the decision to elect to make the acquisition. So hopefully now that the house cleaning is out of the way, we could get down to some questions. Great. Well, appreciate that transparency. That's, that's terrific. Um, let's start with the history, if you don't mind, Barry, in terms of, uh, I mean, I'm obviously a little familiar with the company, but maybe your audience is in of how you got started. And, and I guess, uh, you know, looking at your evolution from um, going to becoming a BDC, now you're leaving that space and going back to, to the bank. So if you can kind of touch on the history, but also a little bit of, of where, you, where are you headed? Well, I, I definitely appreciate the, the word you used, evolution. So when we go back to our beginning in 1998, myself and the other two founders wanted to create an enterprise that would provide financial and business solutions to independent business owners in all 50 states. Uh, independent business owners or what other people call small and medium-sized businesses are clearly underserved in the United States. And as we've seen in the recent pandemic, we've noticed what an important economic engine it is in the US economy. According to the SBA, there's 30 million of these businesses, it's 50% of non-farm GDP, and nine out of 10 businesses in the United States are sort of defined in this particular area. So I think it's important to note that the general thesis of the company has never changed. It didn't change when we elected in 2014 of November, because we felt it was in our best interest to convert from a 1933 Act company into a BDC. And that conversion, I believe, was successful given our ability to grow the business, performance of the stock price, 
and our presence of developing a new tech brand. Similarly, the perspective change subject to regulatory approval and shareholder vote by owning a bank and therefore having to convert the publicly traded company into a bank holding company. Also, we'll keep the same thesis. I think it's important to note, it's the same company and we'll get into the details of what it means to be a bank or holding company and own a bank versus not. But we believe that new tech and the way it's performed historically is gonna be the same going forward. It's just a different structure that we believe will be much more beneficial to shareholders, which is why we did it. Obviously there's risks associated with it. There's challenges, there's execution things, but we feel very good about the decision going forward. And uh, we look forward to having conversations like this. Right, so you mentioned beneficial. Can you maybe highlight two or three of those benefits, what are the most important benefits of, of that conversion uh, of, 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 that you mentioned? Um, it's hard to do it in two or three, but I'm gonna do it because okay. that's what okay. you asked yeah. for. Exactly. I'm gonna give you what you want. Right. Um, the number one aspect is new tech has over its 22 years free and will always be a growth company. So the fact that we're a growth company, revenues are growing, earnings are growing, balance sheet is growing. It's important for us to be in a vehicle that better promotes that growth. And we feel very strongly that by owning a bank and therefore having to convert into a bank holding company, we'll be able to get rid of the two to one BDC cap, which is restrictive, get more financial leverage out of all of our assets. And importantly, we believe we're gonna take the current business, drop it into the new structure, with all the assets, the lending professionals, the solutions, it's gonna be the same business, but in this construct, we're gonna be able to take the company, we believe, further and farther. Right, now, again, from my background course, and, and we, we, we cover BDCs because of the income element, and they're really the dividend. So how do you think about the dividend? You know, we cover the banking sector as well. How do you think about the dividend in context of the BDC dividend, which is the more of a forced you know, dividend component versus the bank being not as a forced dividend component? So when we converted into a business development core, we understood that but when doing that, we would not be able to retain earnings. And we believed that the leverage restriction wouldn't be problematic for us to get from the phase that we were going into A to Z. As we look forward down the road, and you use the word solution, so actually, if you look at when people think it's survival of the fittest, it's actually reverts more to adaptation and evolution. And if you don't adapt and evolve in the market, in the world, and in your business model, you're done. You might as well sell out and move on. So we believe as we look down the road, this particular structure will enable us to adapt to changes in the market environment, things like rising rates, steepening yield curve, and the fact that banks of the future will not have that branch footprint, that human footprint, and that we'll be able to utilize all the technology that we've done, that we've created to get referrals that are cost-effective, to process all five aspects of business more cost-effectively, and to give the customer a better dashboard to run their business in the new tech one dashboard so that 
this structure we think will be very beneficial to the brand, to being able to get greater leverage, to being able to get lower cost of funds, to diversify our assets, not being as dominant on SBA 7A, gain on sale. You've got to adapt in this world. And just because something is going great, it doesn't mean that it's time to switch. But the most important thing, we're not going from business A to making hamburgers. We're still in business A. And it's just moving into a different structure that we believe when you look at the math, it's more beneficial. I will also say we've got accounts and people have come to me and said, gee, I got this in a retirement account. Well, look, the fact it's in a retirement means you don't pay tax today. But when it comes out of the account, don't you still pay the tax? So it's great that you get a dividend, but then you got to reinvest the dividend. And what are you reinvesting the dividend in? I mean, I, I hate to go back to my business school days of finance, but this concept of just dividend paying, it's great for businesses that can't grow. And the investor is just buying that cash flow. But when you look at our cash flows growing and the fact that you can get the cap gains and we'll still get some dividend, the total rate of return will exceed this dividend. What I refer to as, look, it's good, good to have. It's good to get that cash flow. But our investors have gotten significantly more than the dividend over the course of our BDC life. Well, speaking of that, that leads into kind of another question I want to talk to you about. Last year, you know, your company was firing at all cylinders and, um, you know, really virtually pandemic proof. And obviously we went through this pandemic. And a lot of this was, you know, PPP, they got people through it, but uh, kind of how would you sum up the secret sauce of 2020? You know, and I say this a lot to my colleagues, the world is about, and people, people take things for granted. And, and I, I say that only from the standpoint that what happened in 20 and 21, it wasn't easy. We had to be flexible. We had to adapt. We had to deal with changing market conditions. You know, I pose it to you or anybody else. You know, people say PPP financing. PPP financing, the loan has a 1% coupon on it. Well, that doesn't really work very well. You know what I'm saying? For a BDC. Right. Right. So we had to figure out, given the construct, how do we quickly shift around, develop the technology, go from originating 7A loans into a different kind of a loan, which was the PPP loan, make it, do it in the right manner, not have regulatory problems with respect to BSA, AML, things of that nature, and then offload, which turned out 1.9 to $2 billion worth of assets at a 1% yield. I'm just saying that's not easy. So yeah. I don't know what's going to come at it next, but the company has a history of being able to manage the unexpected, and you also have to always expect the unexpected. So what are some of the things that are unexpected? Well, people expect, I think, if you look at the yield curve, rates to stay low forever, okay? Um, people expect that, you know, BDC yields that are market clearing at eight or nine are gonna be great. Will they be, will they be great at eight, or, at eight or nine if in fact treasuries are 3% or 3.5% or 4%, which is just a rate that equals the current, current rate of inflation? So, I mean, we look at these types of things and figure out from a long-term perspective, where are shareholders best suited in addition to being able to, once again, diversify the balance sheet 
and make more traditional types of loans that are arguably lower risk, because at some point in time, you're going to hit a credit cycle, right? Yep. So you want to have a little bit more of a balanced portfolio that you could afford to fund it with core retail deposits, which is a benefit of the transaction. I'll say the prospective transaction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you, you mentioned unexpected. One of the most unexpected areas, of course, is the government and the layers of government that keeps piling on. So how are you going to adapt to the, I guess, the government risk, the governmental risk of what you what you built here? So we've been uh, an SBA 7A lender for 18 years. So within that world, if we all remember, people worried when George Bush went into the White House, the conservatives would get rid of the SBA program, and that hasn't happened. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were going to go away, and that hasn't happened. Um, but for you know, for better or worse, the size of government and government programs isn't contracting. It's actually going the other way. It keeps expanding. So, frankly, the banking environment as a utility, particularly as a utility for the things that we do, are very much in vogue with what's coming out of Washington. So when people are saying the government is going to get more restrictive on banks, they're talking about Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan, etc. They're not talking about an organization like Newtech that is positioned to finance the independent business owners and women and minority-owned businesses, of which that's approximately 30% of our portfolio. So recently, the OCC put out a bulletin two weeks ago about uh, OCC chartered banks making SBA loans. That sounds like that's in concert. The controller um, of the of the OCC recently testified in front of the House Banking Committee, the Senate Banking Committee, and talked about our market segment and how important it is to provide these funds into those particular areas. So not only do I not see us in conflict with the trend, I see us at the beginning of the market with respect to the trend. And the OCC constantly is putting out bulletins about how banks need to use technology and they're adopting their regulatory procedures. So I don't see us against the trend. I see us actually with the trend. Yeah. Well, last question I want to ask you, and, and I'll give you my disclosure. I'm a shareholder. I uh, bought shares just before my article was published, and it's good to see the market move in the right direction. Uh, you know, we're communicating to obviously a, a world of retail investors. What, what do you have to say, I guess, to retail investors now? Uh, any kind of closing thoughts in terms of you know, how, how you, obviously you appeal to an institutional base as well, obviously, and you've, you've gotten fairly large uh, over the years, but how do you, how would you, uh, what's closing thoughts for the retail investor? Well, I, you know, a couple of things. Um, as somebody that prior to um, developing new tech, and it was launched in 98, I left Wall Street in 95. Uh, one of the common slogans and phrases on Wall Street is only good as your last trade. So, or what have you done for me today? Forget about yesterday. So, I mean, despite the fact we're still down off of recent highs, we're, I think, year to date, up 50%. And the returns are really good when you go back one year, three year, five year, 10 year. And for those investors that um, are tremendously concerned about the concept of the dividend, um, those that have invested with 
uh, our organization over the long term based upon history. And I will disclaim that's not necessarily an indication of what's going to happen in the future. But for those that have invested over history, have been able to get whatever cash they want out of the price increase in the stock. And still, capital gains are taxed at a low rate in ordinary income. And even if, it, if it's in an IRA, for example, or a 401k, correct me if I'm wrong, when it comes out, you're going to have to pay tax at the ordinary income rate on the dividend. And maybe you're retired, maybe you're not, who knows? Everyone's got their own different tax right. situation. But this opens up a huge customer base that we couldn't tap previously, which is the institutional customer base. We're not giving up on the retail investors. We love the retail investors. I love dividends. I've been the beneficiary of dividends. I love getting that current cash flow. So what I would say to the retail investors is a lot of them threw the baby out with the bathwater and um, you just got to keep watching and watching us execute and perform and hopefully we'll be able to do going forward as well as we've done in the past. Great. Well, I'll say this, Barry, you know, we cover a lot of dividend stocks, a lot of the dividend paying stocks and dividend is important, but really more important than that, in my opinion, my view and experience is dividend growth. Uh, obviously dividend growth, uh, you know, has proven to uh, outperform stocks, uh, dividend stocks that, that grow their dividend have proven to outperform, whether it's a REIT, uh, BDC or an ordinary C-Corp, whatever the structure itself, but dividend is important. It's critical. Dividend growth is important. Also like to say one other thing, and I say this to all my CEOs, especially in the REIT space, because we also have that special tax law that we have to pay out 90% of, of taxable income. Um, but, but monthly dividends really matter too. I've, you know, we've got such a large retail base. It's really amazing to see you know, the, uh, the interest in monthly dividends. Um, and so a lot of all the Canadian REITs pay monthly dividends. Again, obviously, you're moving out of the BDC structure you know, into very possibly the, the banking world, the banking structure. But um, uh, but but I do believe that uh, you know dividend growth is is equally as important as the dividend itself, and of course those retail investors we love monthly dividends because that's the way we we can match fund our our lifestyle our our living and our retirement. But uh, Barry, I really appreciate your time today. It's always enlightful to to me and as well as our audience to to get input from uh, from our senior management teams. So I appreciate you know your time today and and uh, talking with us. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you.